Did you have enough good stuff that happened to you in your life this week so that you could come here and rejoice this morning? Did you? That's how we think of it sometimes. And I don't mean just overjoice like you sang the songs, but having a heart that that rejoices, that uh, puts forth joy because you have joy in your heart. And not just today, but what about the rest of the day, the rest of the week? Uh, Did you have enough good stuff that happened to you so that you can rejoice? Because that's the natural way we think about it. We think that if I had enough good things that happened to me, and hopefully not that many bad things, well, then I can rejoice. But if the scales tip the other way, and I didn't have enough good things that happened to me, but I had a lot of bad things that happened, well, then, yeah, you don't rejoice, you complain. And that's just our, our natural way of thinking about this, that our, our attitude, our, our disposition, our emotional life is tied to our circumstances. And that seems normal. Good things happen to you, hashtag blessed, then you can rejoice. But if they don't, then you complain, and that's how it is. But what we're going to see as we look in this passage today from Philippians, and we look at Paul's life, is that for Paul, his rejoicing was not tied to his circumstances, the way that we usually think it is. And hopefully we're going to learn from this what his rejoicing was tied to, and we're going to see that for us as well, that our rejoicing does not need to be tied to our circumstances. If it is, there's going to be a lot less rejoicing than there could be. And it's going to free us up to look at things and frame life in a whole different way. So let's read through the section here. We're going to be reading uh, Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 18. I hope you'll follow along with me here. And I want you to notice especially the way it begins, and I want you to notice the way that it ends. We're going to read through together, and then we're going to walk through this uh, verse by verse. Starting with verse 12, Paul writes to the Philippians, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's how it starts. We're going to have to talk about this. What has happened to him? Remember, he is writing this uh, not from a beautiful vacation destination on a beach somewhere. He is imprisoned at this point. That's the context here. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So we see here in this section, it starts talking about what has happened to him, his, his situation, but then it ends saying, I'm going to rejoice. I do rejoice. And these seem like mismatched statements, like they shouldn't go together. Someone stole my car, and there was great rejoicing. These things don't seem like they should connect and go together. Paul is imprisoned. He is sidelined from his plans, his agenda, things he wanted to do, important things, valuable things. 
and he is there, has been there for years and is possibly awaiting execution. But still, he rejoiced and continued to do this. It doesn't seem right. Again, we rejoice when things are good. But what we're going to see is that Paul's perspective, Paul's perspective on what is ultimately important changed everything for him. It allowed him to rejoice despite his circumstances. And the same thing can be true for us, for me, and for you. So let's walk through this first paragraph, 12 through 14. And in this, we're going to see that in spite of Paul's imprisonment, the gospel is still advancing. So advancing. You know, sometimes our plans fail. You make plans, you might have a lot of detailed plans, things mapped out, not just this week, but sometimes I got things mapped out for the next year or five years. You got a, you got a plan. But things don't always go according to the way that you planned it out and the detail and the thought that you put into it. Paul's plans here had basically failed as well too, at least been sidelined. In other places in the New Testament, we saw that Paul's heart was to take the message of Jesus Christ to areas where it had not been taken yet. He didn't want to just go over uh, old territory, but he wanted to to take it to, to new frontiers, places where they hadn't been told yet about Jesus and who he was and the salvation that he brings and offers freely to everyone. Uh, he talks about he had a goal. He wanted to, to get all the way to Spain and take the gospel there. He had been on several missionary journeys, uh, but now he's sidelined. He's been imprisoned. He's in Rome, uh, imprisoned probably for at least uh, four years at this point, at the end of the book of Acts, he's, he's arrested, spends about two years in Caesarea there, and then he appeals to uh, Caesar because he's a Roman citizen. So they ship him all the way to Rome, and he's there now waiting his trial, waiting the verdict, seeing what's going to happen. Could go one way, could go the other. He's hopeful, but he doesn't know. But he's been sidelined for a while. Is that a failure? His plans failed. A lot of his opponents would have said, Paul, this, oh, this was your guy. He was going to do all these great things, and well, he's, he's a failure. He's just wasting away in prison, not, not really doing anything. The rest of us, hey, we're out there doing it. Why are you still all about Paul? Well, let's walk through this. Verse 12, Paul says to them, the Philippians, he's reporting back to you, he says, I want you to know, brothers, and he's referring to other Christians there, uh, both men and women, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So we've talked already a little bit about what has happened to him, that he's in prison. But even this imprisonment, this wasn't the first hardship that he had in his life. There have been many difficult things that he had had even before that. And in uh, 2 Corinthians, he mentions some of those. In one place in 2 Corinthians 11, he says uh, he's had far more labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. It says, and often near death. Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes uh, less one. So he, he was whipped uh, five different occasions, and they had a law you couldn't do more than 40, so they would, just to be careful, they would take one less away, so 39. Uh, but when you think of this, you know, being whipped like this, you know, don't just think this is your brother snapping you with the towel. Okay? If you've ever seen something describing like a, an actual whipping. I mean, you're breaking skin. This is incredibly painful. He was, his back probably looked like a plate of dried spaghetti, to be honest. 
I mean, he bore those scars showing that this is things that he had suffered for Jesus because he was living for him and taking this message. And despite the opposition, he still thought this was that important to bring this message to people. It says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And yet he, he pulled through that. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardships and through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst and often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me, the anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indigent? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So, Paul, many things had happened to him. And being in prison here was just the the latest of them. And still he was rejoicing through all this. Which means he had to have a different view of this world. He had to have a different mindset. Because if his rejoicing was dependent on let me add up the good or bad things that happened it would just equal a complain and misery and sorrow and whatever it is uh, because he has had many bad things but he was rejoicing he says many um, brothers what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel and so this is something he's saying that God, he recognizes, had been working through these things and in spite of them and behind them, actually to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's going to talk about what this is. And we're going to see that part of the reason that Paul could rejoice is because the most important thing that he wanted to see happen, he knew was still happening in his life and also in the life of other people. And therefore, even if he was going through some suffering and some personal setbacks and hard times and hardships and all these things, he was still able to rejoice because what he ultimately cared about was still going forward. And he mentions it here. He says the advance of the gospel, which means we need to take a second here. What is he talking about when he says the gospel? Sometimes we talk about the gospels, meaning the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible that talk about the life of Christ. But the word gospel literally means good news. That's what it means. And so is this message uh, that he is taking to the world. It's not just a good, good advice, here's what I think you should do, but it's something that is a report of something that has actually happened, good news. And one place that we can look to to see, okay, what, what does Paul mean? What, in his mind, what is the gospel? In the book of 1 Corinthians 15, he gets really clear about this. 1 Corinthians 15, he writes uh, this. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So it's the gospel, it's important, it saves us, that's biblical terminology, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now there is a response that's required to to hold fast to it, to, to lean upon it, to and trust yourself to have faith in the salvation that God has provided. Then verse 3, it makes it really clear. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So I'm giving you something. This is the most important thing. This is not something I made up. I received this from others. I'm passing it on. He says that Christ died for our sins. 
It goes on from there, but we'll come back to that because I think at the, at the core, um, if you wanted to summarize the gospel in five words, you have it there. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and then to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. It wasn't just uh, something you know, legendary. He believed this is something that actually happened in time and space. And he talks about at the end that he appeared to uh, him as well and commissioned him to take this message. But if you look at, if you focus on that, the part that says Jesus Christ died for our sins, and I think this is at, at the, the core, the center of what the gospel is, that this one Christ, the Messiah, uh, the God-man, one we believe that was the, the creator of this world and that he came down and he became uh, not only fully God but also fully man, that this is the one that he, he died and he died It says, for our sins. Jesus didn't come down just to die for for good people, if there were any. He didn't die just to, uh, you know, affirm those that are already great. He died for sins. He died for sinners. And that is me. That is you. The Bible tells us that none of us measure up to God's perfect standards. If we measure ourselves against other people, we we may feel that way. If you measure yourself against God's holiness and his word, well, we all fall short. We all fall short of that, and it's, it's not good. But Christ loves sinners. He came for rebels. He came for people like you and me, and he died in our place on the cross. And that's the message of salvation, the good news of how you can be made right with God, that it's not a matter of try harder, um, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, change your life and, and do all this, uh, or, or beat yourself in, uh, you know, that, some kind of, if that's what you view as repentance, that you're just, you know, punishing yourself. No, it's, it's, you're, you're turning, well, you're turning away from your rebellion and embracing Jesus the Lord as your Savior and trusting him, because the Bible makes clear, and it's going to make this clear in Philippians, too, that this is a gift, that salvation is a gift. It's earned completely by Jesus Christ with his perfect life and his death on the cross as substitutes for us, and we receive it just by faith. There's not a ceremony you do, there's not uh, a bunch of hoops you need to jump through, but it's trusting Jesus Christ, casting yourself upon his, his mercy, believing that Jesus, who is the Lord, died for you on the cross. This is the message. This is what's so important to him. And he wants to take this to people so that they can know that they can be reconciled to God. They can be made right with him. They can be saved. They can have their eternal destiny changed from what it would have been otherwise. So back to Philippians, he's saying, hey, I want you to know what's happened to me is actually served to advance the gospel. Now, you might be thinking, well, no, this has hindered the gospel. You've kept, you know, the Paul being in prison, this has sidetracked things. It's kept the gospel from going forward. Uh, it's been a big disaster. But Paul is saying, no, it's actually, it advances the gospel. It's been going out, and he's going to explain it, uh, what he means. Verse 13, he says, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And when he talks about it, it says imprisonment, the word for imprisonment uh, can really be translated even as chains or bonds, that his, his chains, his bonds, uh, this is for Christ, this is advancing the gospel because in this situation, uh, Paul was not in some deep, dark dungeon. Uh, when I was... 
we went to Rome a few years ago, got to go to the Mamertine prison, which is likely where Paul spent his last days before he was executed. And he probably wrote, uh, well, Second Timothy from there, and that's right before he, he did die. And that is a, a, a dungeon, a, like a cellar that he is in. Uh, but in this situation, he had appealed to Caesar. He was awaiting trial. And so it was more of a house arrest. In this situation, you could rent an apartment. He was responsible for it if he wanted somewhere okay. But he was not free to go. Okay, so during this time, uh, he, yeah, under house arrest, but he is literally uh, in chains and probably chained to a guard 24-7. And when he talks about the imperial guard here, this would be a reference uh, to the Praetorian guard, the elite Roman soldiers who served under the direct command of the emperor himself. In those days, there were about nine to 10,000, although not were always stationed in Rome. They protected the emperor. That's one thing they did. But they also acted as a, uh, as a police force in Rome as well. So one at a time would be assigned to be guarding Paul and would be like, literally chained to him as well. They took four-hour shifts. So they'd be with him, and then every four hours, someone would come and relieve the other one and shackle themselves to Paul to keep him there to make sure he didn't ran away until the final verdict was... Uh, was rendered. So how do you think Paul used this opportunity? There he is. He's in prison. He wants to take the gospel to other people. He wants to be telling people and people that haven't heard about Jesus Christ. But instead, he's imprisoned. He's, he's chained. And do you think he just, you know, he sat there, he's in prison, and he's just, uh, he's complaining. He's like, oh, talking to the guards. You know, I'm supposed to be taking the gospel people that haven't heard about Christ and uh, need, people need to hear this message. It's a great message. And now here I am. I'm just chained to you. No one to tell about Jesus Christ and his love and his forgiveness because I'm just stuck here chained to you for four hours at a time. And then later on, another guy's going to come, be chained to me and be stuck with him instead of being able to have anyone to tell the gospel to. Do you think that was his attitude? I think no. I think he realized, wait a second. I'm chained to this guy. This guy's chained to me. He can't go anywhere. If he doesn't want to hear what I'm saying, it doesn't matter. He's stuck. He's got to hear me. And I think Paul recognized that he was given an opportunity. It was a different opportunity than he thought it was going to be. But he used this to... Uh, not to, he couldn't go to the people he had planned to go to, but the people that in God's plan, God had brought him to and that God had brought them to him. And I think he had all kinds of conversations with them. No, I don't think it was just, well, you're chained to me, so I'm just going to you know, shove this at you as hard as I can in an offensive way. It's nice he had four hours. You know, he could talk to them. He could learn about them. He could hear their stories. They could see what he was like. He could engage. He could have questions. I don't know exactly how it went. Uh, but sure, along the way, he would explain, this is, this is why I'm here. This is what, I, what I'm doing. This is uh, the, the Jesus that I serve, that I, the Jesus that I love. Here's who he is. Here's the, the good news of this message. And who knows if they would respond right away. Uh, but later on, probably see him again. Pick up where he left off. And I think through that, there were these guardsmen 
that came to faith, that had their, their view changed, that had their hearts changed by Christ. And it started spreading throughout the, uh, throughout, throughout the palace and throughout um, the area. And we know that, you know, the gospel started to, to take off in a lot of different ways. Paul used this experience and he used the circumstance that God had given in his providence. And so it was advancing the gospel, not just even with believers, but in 14, verse 14, we see also with, not just with unbelievers, but also it had an advantage for those that were already believers as well too. And he says, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That through Paul's example, through seeing him that, wow, he's imprisoned and yet he is willing to keep doing this. And there's something about his example that was an encouragement to them to find the right times to proclaim God's truth to other people in a way that would help them and, and, and bring that message out to people. Instead of being afraid that, well, what if someone says something, I'm, you know, what might happen to me? Well, things did happen to Paul, but he was still willing to bring this message. God worked through his example to give courage. And there's ways that, you know, hopefully we have that as well. Hopefully that we can be sources of courage for one another and see if we're willing to say something about Christ, to, to love people in Christ. Hopefully there's other people we can look to. You know, there are Christians around the world that are in persecuted countries that are going through just legit persecution. Not the lightweight, we call it persecution here, you know, but is it kind of, not really? Not compared to what people in other countries, you know, go to some, well, yeah, just, you know, communist countries or, or places that are under, uh, you know, Islamic law where you are really thrown in prison. You are, you disappear sometimes. We can look to them. We can take courage. If they can do it, if they can uh, be faithful to Christ, why can't we when it, it's, it's so much easier for us? Probably not going to get thrown in prison, at least not right now. Maybe it might have someone thinks you're a little weird or something. Oh, well. So hopefully we can be filled with boldness and courage as well. Before we move on, I want you to think about this. Paul was rejoicing. but Paul couldn't rejoice if he cared more about his plans than he cared about God's glory and people being saved. Part of the reason that Paul could still rejoice is because he didn't make his plans the ultimate thing. That things are going good if things are going according to my schedule and God blesses you know, my five-year plan and everything I've got going on uh, that I've mapped out for life. But oftentimes we do that. Things get off track with what we wanted to do. I thought I was going to spend my week this way or my day and this came up and I had to do this instead. And when you get upset, we get grumpy. But instead, Paul recognized that God was working behind the scenes. We still should make plans we talked about that in the book of Proverbs. Making plans is a good thing. We should try to. But we also need to recognize that God is the one that he is behind the scenes. He directs things. And oftentimes you say, it's good, great, you made this plan, but guess what? I got something better for you. And this, you wouldn't have expected this. This, this isn't going to make sense to you, but I got this figured out. And this is what's going to happen. And you would have never picked this. Paul would have never picked to spend four years in prison. But in God's sovereignty, in God's providence, that is what happened. And then God was using this in a way that was completely different than what Paul would have expected. What about our lives? How do you feel when your plans go south? 
Do you complain, get mad at God? God knows what he is doing in your life, and he is directing your life with his providence. And guess what? In God's providence, God very often will give you a mission field that is different than what you would have ever expected. God will give you a mission field, people that you can influence for Jesus Christ uh, that may be very different than what you would have ever picked, what you ever thought of. The question is, are you taking advantage of it? Are you chained to someone right now? Is there someone in your life or people in your life that you, in one sense or another, not literally, probably, are, are chained to that you're with? You're thinking, oh, I wish I wasn't with them so I could be off doing something else that was important. What if in God's providence he has you with those people for his specific purpose so that you can be used in their life for Jesus Christ? I want you to write this down and I want you to think about it. Just ask yourself, who am I chained to? Who am I connected to right now in my life? And what does God want me to do? I want to encourage you. Talk about the gospel. Talk about the Lord, salvation, forgiveness. And it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily go full throttle right out the bat. You're going to have to have wisdom to how do you talk about it, how do you, how do you approach it. Some people, um, you know, if they're, they're chained to you in a sense, you may think, i got a captive audience, but if you're coming across in such a caustic way that, you know, the instant that chain is released, are they just going on a bolt? Uh, but if you can do it winsomely in a way that you care about them as a person so that even if they weren't chained to you, that they would still care. You can't control the outcome. You can't control their response. You can be praying for it. You know, there's ways you can do that too. Uh, you know, maybe it's a situation at work or a family member. There's someone that you're around. Uh, sometimes we have a hard time. How do you initiate a conversation like that you know, in a way that doesn't seem like you're just, you know, just clubbing them over the head? But there's ways you can bring things up. If you're establishing a friendship, you're having a relationship, you know, one would be, I don't know why we don't think about this more often. You know, you, let's say you go to work and people are saying, what'd you do this weekend? Everyone's going to talk about, oh, I went to the lake, I did this, I went, you know, uh, whatever the recreational thing. Guess what? You went to church, you know, and maybe there's a way you can say it that uh, it sounds fairly normal. Let's say, hey, I just had a great morning at church. Man, there's some stuff in the book of Philippians that really made an impact on my life. And sometimes you've got to test the water a little bit and see if they're, you know, interested in this. But, you know, you can talk about, yeah, it's, you know, talk about, you know, circumstances and attitude or whatever it is any given week. Um, but it's a way that, you know, you could segue in and maybe it'll catch their interest. You know, it's not always where it's like, okay, one shot, man, everything is different. But ways that you can be making a difference in their life, and eventually helping them realize that they are loved by God despite their sin, despite their failure. That we are, <laughs> that you and I, we realize that we are sinners in need of grace. But we found that. Found that in Christ, and it's a promise that's available to all. And you want them to have that too because you care about them. And if you do care about that, them, show that to them in their ac- your actions as well. I mean, if you're just a selfish jerk all the time, well, repent about that, change that, so, and don't act like a selfish jerk. So they actually see a changed life. They actually see someone that has a heart that is being transformed to be loving like Jesus Christ. 
that'll help them to realize that Christ is attractive, that he is good. Care about them, care about their story, be willing to talk to them. I don't know, different ways. But think about, are there people in your life that you're chained to, that God has put there on purpose for you to make an impact in their lives? You might think that you are being sidelined. God might think it's strategic. So, we see that Paul's imprisonment, in spite of it, the gospel was still advancing. And in the next paragraph, we see that in spite of other people's impure motives, the gospel was still advancing. So, let's work through this next section here as well. Paul said, Indeed, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So he's noticing that while he's in prison, there's other people that are going around, they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're doing this. But he's saying some people are doing it from one set of motives, and some people are doing it from another. He's, some people, they're doing it from envy and rivalry. They're, it's a competition to them. They're trying to uh, see, you know, who's, who's the best preacher, who can get the most followers, or whatever it is. There's something wrong in their heart as far as why they are um, bringing the message. They want the biggest following. Today, be like, who can get the, the biggest church, or whatever it is. But he says, others from goodwill. And the word here for goodwill uh, can also, it means something even deeper. It can mean even uh, pleasure. That for them, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to tell about the God that has saved them, the God that they love, uh, that Jesus Christ is, is their treasure, and um, they're motivated by this a deep and satisfying delight in Jesus Christ, who they talk about and who they preach. So there's different attitudes. You know, what do you think about an athlete who cares more about his personal stats than if the team wins or loses? What do you think about that? You know, let me give you another illustration. Let's say you're, you're watching a football game, and you got your star quarterback, and the star uh, quarterback gets sacked, he goes on hard, and he's not getting up. Like, what happened here? Did he break something? Oh, no, are, you know, if without this guy, the whole team, it, it's all over. And everyone on that team is probably, you know, sitting there kind of holding their breath, quiet waiting, and just worried, worried, worried. But there might be one person on the team that kind of has different feelings, that kind of might be thinking uh, at least a little bit like, oh no, I, maybe, maybe this is my opportunity. And who is that guy? Maybe the backup quarterback. You know, not that he wants the guy to break his leg or whatever, but maybe he's thinking, I've been sitting on the bench all these years and this guy's getting all the glory and the big money and man, if he goes down, don't want to see it happen, but this is my time to shine now. And I think that was what was going on with some of these other uh, people, these preachers, the evangelists in the day, that they had this kind of terrible attitude. That they're like thrilled that Paul is out of the way so then it could be their time to be in the spotlight, their time to shine. And those attitudes were not good. And at the end of the day, God knows our hearts and he's going to judge us according to our attitudes. But Paul, again, he could have been really bitter about that. You know, he's here and these other people and they got terrible attitudes and they're out there and they're causing him trouble and uh, doing all this and so taking advantage of his leave and man, now they're, they're, they're catching up on me. They're, they're going to have better stats than I have. Uh, but we see that wasn't his attitude. 
Let me read this whole section. Indeed, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. Now, there's some that do it for good motives. They, they're not trying to do it just to be the new, the new star here. It says, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, put here, so they, now, they realize that Paul is there and got part of God's plan for God's purposes. So some people are doing it for, for the right reasons, right motives. Uh, but then he says, um, verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So they're trying to get ahead, and they're also some kind of digs, you know, at Paul. They had rivalry against them. But then here's the payoff, verse 18. How does Paul respond to this? This would be circumstances. He could be really upset about this. What then? He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. To have an attitude like that, you're in prison, not only that, but people are using that as an opportunity to, to sidetrack you, to try and uh, advance beyond you, to take digs at you, and all of this. And it said, Paul is rejoicing. And I think the reason that Paul could do that is because Paul cared more about the gospel than his own pride. Put it another way, Paul couldn't rejoice if he cared more about his pride than God's glory and people being saved. But instead, Paul cared about what was ultimately important. He wanted God to be glorified. And God is glorified, especially when people come to know him as, as Savior and Lord. Their lives are changed when they realize the forgiveness. They realize the, the, how much God loves them. And we recognize that when we realize that, that Christ died for sinners. God displayed his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul, that's his life's work. That's his life's mission. That's what he wants to, be made, to have made known. And so his attitude, his frame of thought is that, you know what, even if other people are proclaiming this, and it's not me, even if I don't get the credit for it, I don't get the stats, I don't get the assist for this or whatever it is, I don't care because the most important thing is happening. And therefore he was able to have joy in this. Now, you know, in our lives today, we think of other people, other churches. When the gospel is going forth and people are being saved, people are being changed, God is being glorified, view that's a good thing because we're on the same team together. It's not about being like the athlete that cares more about their individual stats. It's caring about the, the team win, the team effort that's going forth because it's not about us ultimately. It's about Jesus Christ and his love in the lives of other people. Now, does this mean that we shouldn't care about motives? No, that doesn't mean that. And God's going to judge. He knows the heart. He will judge our motives. And for those that were doing this out of impure motives, yeah, one day they're going to answer to God. And if they are real Christians, and who knows, you know, I think their, their reward is going to be less because of that. Does this mean that we shouldn't be bothered by false teachers? I think that's where this is a little bit different. If these people have been preaching like a false gospel message, then, you know, hey, you're saved by 
um, if you go through this ritual, then you're saved or whatever it is, then no, Paul would not be on board with that. And we know that because in Galatians, in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, Paul wrote, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. I've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul had said that that's when people are preaching a false gospel, some kind of salvation by, by works or grace and works mixed together. But in this situation, it seems like they're giving the, the, the correct gospel message just with bad motives. But Paul is saying, well, at least God is working through that and that people's lives are being affected. People are being saved and God is being glorified through this. Again, Paul cared more about the team win than his personal stats. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his pride, his accomplishments, his reputation. It was about God. Question we need to ask, what is most important to you? What is most important to you in life? Is it your pride, your accomplishments, We saw before your plans, your agenda, your lordship over your own life. If that's the case, when your circumstances go south, you're going to have all kinds of reasons for complaining. But if the most important thing that you realize is different, if the most important thing is God being glorified, the most important thing is is God, is people uh, being saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ leading to God's glory, then you can rejoice when you know that's happening, no matter the cost that it has to you and what's happening in your life. So let me give you a bottom line putting this all together. Paul could still rejoice because he knew that the most important thing was still happening. He could rejoice despite the, the smaller circumstances because he knew the thing that he cared about most, God being glorified as the, the true gospel was going forth and people's lives were being changed, that was still going on. It was going on with him, with the guards in prison. It was going with those that were encouraged. It was going with other people that were uh, taking the message with good motives. And even those with bad motives, God was still working through that. And Paul cared more about that than all of these other details. And if you know that the most important things are still happening, then also you can still rejoice despite your circumstances. That even if there's battles being lost, if you know that the war is being won, the big thing, you know that any sacrifice is worth it for the ultimate cause, and the ultimate cause is the glory of God. So ask yourself, ask yourself, say to yourself, is God using my circumstances for his glory and for the ultimate good of other people? If the answer is yes, then rejoice. What you are going through as hard as it may be, is not a waste. It is not a loss. It matters for eternity, and God is working through it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God that works in very mysterious ways, Lord God. We have our plans, 
but it is yours that prevail, Lord, and you know what is ultimately best in your wisdom. And Lord, we thank you that you use us, that you guide us and you direct us, maybe in ways we would never have thought of. So help us to be like Paul. Help us to not have our rejoicing or our joy determined by our circumstances, but instead, help us to know you and to know that you are at work and that you are working for your glory and for the ultimate good of people, Lord God. Use us in that, in the ways that that you have planned, not necessarily the ways that we have planned, but the ways that you have planned. Let us realize the people that in your providence you put us around, and may we be good influences for Jesus Christ and for their eternal good, Lord God. Change us, help us, help us to rely on you, give us a boldness, Lord God. And may we care more about your glory and the good of others than our plans, than about our pride. Because we are not the center, you are. And you deserve to be glorified. Jesus Christ deserves the glory. And in him we rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.